Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Infuse brought to you by the Sales Joint, the premier sales connection for cannabis cultivators and dispensaries. Visit thesalesjoint.com for more info. I'm Nick and guys, I'm thrilled to be here today along with Francesca. Hi everyone. As well as Mike. Mike, how you doing today? Doing good, Nick. Hello, Francesca. Hope everybody's in a good place today. We've got a big topic to talk about. I'm pumped. Huge yeah. topic. I'm yeah. pumped too. Um, it's like we have to is... fold it in half to, to actually consume it. Yeah. A lot it was... to unpack. Oh, there is a, there's a lot to unpack. Guys, it's, we're in the beautiful month of October and we're falling into the autumn season. And when this episode debuts, by the way, it will be the debut day of a film called The Many Saints of Newark. Not Newark, which is where we're coming to you from, Newark, Delaware, but Newark. And I'm thrilled to return to that Sopranos world uh, that David Chase created, that world that exists in the landscape of North Jersey, New York, and the passion and drama that follows that area. Guys, today we're talking about two beautiful states filled with beautiful people, interesting characters, <laughs> wonderful culture, and now the two most intriguing cannabis markets here on the Beast Coast. Um, when these two states went rec legal, guys, um, a lot of it was, it had to do with the will of the people, right? Uh, cannabis on the ballot, is that, does that tell you when we see markets like this turn over, Francesca, does this tell you that we're, we're kind of, this work we're doing to end the stigma, is it working in your opinion? It absolutely is working. You see not just like a slight majority approval of cannabis use, cannabis industry um, growth, but a vast majority of Americans approve of legalization efforts, uh, as well as I think have dropped the preconceived notions they used to have about consumption and the people that do it. Mike, as far as New York and New Jersey are concerned, did one or the other uh, surprise you that they went rec legal? I think in terms of New York, New Jersey, neither one surprised me that they went legal. I mean, if you look at just the population density in just the North Jersey, New York area alone, and the amount of tourists and amount of people going up and down I-95 through New Jersey, it's to me a no brainer that both of these states would eventually flip the switch. And I think it, would, it, it took a little longer than I thought it would, um, mm -hmm. but I, and I think the success of Massachusetts really paved the way for both of these states to say, oh, this is going to work out and look at this, look at the revenue that is generated and it's being done safely and responsibly. And, you know, we can use that as a somewhat of a, a model or at least a feel good to know that it can be done on the East Coast uh, with the East Coast demographic. You know what's also not surprising is that they did it at the same time. Those two states are super fucking competitive. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if... Go ahead, Mike. No, I was just going to say, it It was almost like a race. Oh, totally. And they were pulling each other's shirts and everything else trying to get to the finish line. And it was like a photo finish to, to see who was going to get there first. But at the end of the day, and this is something I feel like happens all the time, they'll go and they'll pass things. And then the common like kind of 
uh, consumer that's out there, they think immediately like, oh, it passed on uh, January 1st. So that means <laughs> January 2nd, I can go and buy something. And there's always yeah. that inherent <laughs> lag between, you know, it passing and actually stores opening and product on the shelves ready Absolutely. for a rec state. Um, and I ran into Nick news, news this over the summer, like some of my good <laughs> friends are driving through Virginia, which just recently passed. And they were like, hey, uh, what's the best store to stop at? And I'm like, none, because it's not ready yet. I mean, like, <laughs> so it's just that inherent thing. No, it certainly is. And that's, I'm glad you brought that. I'm glad you mentioned Massachusetts. Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned this idea of, hey, we went rec legal and you want to march right to the store that day because the store doesn't exist. And one of the things we're really going to be focusing on today is we started out talking about the popularity of cannabis with voters and the, the work of educators and people doing the advocacy big work. Um, it, it seems to be working, but there's a huge, uh, I, or I should say, there's a fundamental difference between saying you're going rec legal and then actually, actually implementing that system and, and coming up with one that works. So today we're going to be looking at that uh, pretty closely. You mentioned that you weren't surprised by the two markets turning that quickly, Francesca. And I think that anyone who's listening to us who isn't from the East Coast might not know how competitive those two states are as far as well, just about everything. everything. Uh, who's, yeah. Who's got the, the better pizza? Who's Is it Bruce or is it Billy Joel? Uh, are the Giants from New York or are they from Jersey where they actually play? Um, these two uh, demographics will fight over anything. I think they'll even fight over who has the better traffic. Mm -hmm. But as far <laughs> as who has the, the, the best system in place for weed, Let's get going, guys. Let's talk about uh, what we see in the market. Let's start with the Empire State, New York. Uh, we're excited. We're going to be going to New York really soon. Um, in the first weekend in November, we're heading up to the CWCB Expo. Yay! First at the trade show in a while. At the Javits Center, Francesca, it's the first trade show, but this is one that people have been waiting for. And they've been waiting for it before these two markets went rec legal. Right. When we went to our last CWCB Expo in New York, was it just me or did it seem like the presence of weed was everywhere in oh, it, Lower Manhattan? It wasn't just you. It was <laughs> everywhere. I can't remember if decriminalization had happened then it or had. just, I think it just happened. just happened. So that's the thing is like now you can go up to New York and I feel like cannabis is way as prevalent, if not more prevalent than tobacco use, because you can legally consume it anywhere you can consume tobacco pretty much. So having it, smoking it, or I should say consuming it, none of that is illegal in New York. It's just the buying and selling of it. And so you have um, some loopholes to get around. You definitely have loopholes to get around. We definitely have reform that needs to happen. As it stands, adults who are 21 and over can possess what up to three ounces of flour or, or 24 grams of concentrates if you want to have a really interesting night. Um, but like you said, we can't really buy it anywhere. There's no storefronts. Um, you look up the registered medical patients in New York State, we have uh, over 150,000 registered patients, but we don't have anywhere to buy weed. The current system that they have is in need of reform and, and they're trying but they're just a little bit slower than their, their friends over in Jersey. So for those of us that don't know in the audience, Francesca, their current system involves one of vertical integration in New York State. Could you briefly explain what that is? Yeah, vertical integration is um, controversial, 
to <laughs> save my opinion for the end. I'll try. <laughs> um, basically what it is, it's a kind of licensing that um, a producer can hold. And essentially it's saying that you as the license holder are all three steps of the cannabis producing and sales process. So you, you are the grower, you are the processor, you are the dispensary. So it keeps everything in one place. And there's certainly benefits to that, I'm sure, for certain people. And the downside is, is that tends to be incredibly, um, that insulation comes at a price. And it's usually a price that craft cannabis cannot pay. It also greatly limits uh, variety. And variety is going to be an important aspect for consumers to, and patients to have choices when they are in the store about what works best for them, regardless of what their goals are. So I find vertical integration to be a bad thing, quite frankly. I think it's uh, on the whole, I think it really excludes people. I think it's um, pricey elitist, a way to make sure cronyism is protected more than social equity, more than fair market, more than, you know, free market, I should say. So I, I have my, pro and it also just kind of the more, the more you keep things that, that power centralized, you're, you're just asking for the kind of corruption or monopolization that we don't need in cannabis. Mike, you make decisions about where the sales joint is going to jump and where we sold and worked with growers in the past. Um, you know, when you look at current New York law, it says New York requires vertical integration. Um, why do you think states do it? And in your opinion, if you could follow Francesca, good thing, bad thing for the industry? You know, I, I think I've thought about this on, as we look at different states and a number of them are vertically integrated. And I understand, I think the reason they do it is because it's the, it's the easy way to get in the game and to be in the cannabis game for them without losing control. So it's like the horse is out of the barn, but it's just in a small stable, like in a small fenced in area now, <laughs> um, instead of having the whole range to run crazy on and other horses coming in and other sheep and all kinds of other stuff going on that, that they can no longer control. So I absolutely think it's a, it's a way to be in the cannabis game, but still maintain a high level of control and high level of regulation. And I, totally agree with Francesca in that I think it's a way for them to reward or award licenses mm -hmm. to those who have potentially contributed to their campaign. <laughs> um, and, and who knows? I mean, but when you have a very limited exclusive group of people who are getting these licenses, it, you can't not wonder if that plays into it. So I think that's, that weighs into a vertical one, but I think that the overarching theme to me is control by the government. Yep. Yeah, that's a good point, Mike. It is probably the easiest way to to start a legalized market in a controlled kind of experiment way. Right. That's a that's a really good point. As so, like the benefits. That's like the benefit that they can put they can put on the face of it, and then the right. benefits on the back end are yeah. way shadier. Right. Right. Um, but Francesca, I would say this. I, I don't necessarily agree that variety suffers in a in a vertical state. Interesting. Um, I, I, I mean, look at Maryland. Maryland is a vertical medical state, and I think they have good variety in terms of brands, um, product types. You know, Delaware is a state that's terrible. I mean, the variety <laughs> in Delaware is garbage. Hey. You know, it is. I mean, no, it's, it, it absolutely you, so is. So Delaware is a vertical state with three licenses, basically. <laughs> and so it's, it's not good. That's one for uh, each county. How dare yeah. you? But, <laughs> but I think there's, I think, 
I, I don't know if I would make a blanket statement that variety suffers because I think Maryland's a good example of where variety is still strong. Is it as good as That's, yeah, um, yeah. open market states? Probably not, you know, right. but I don't think, I think Maryland is just to, if I just compare Maryland to Delaware or Maryland to uh, Massachusetts has good variety and that's a vertical state. I think, I think by good variety, it's, it's a tough qualifier because we're not saying what good and the level of variety is because sure there, there is variety and you're right. Maryland is a good example of a vertically integrated state. They seem like they've got their, their stuff together and are doing well and doing it right at the same time. Like, the vertically integrated licenses means that usually deep, deep pockets or heavily backed um, uh, people are the only ones that can afford such a valuable license. It means there are fewer growers doing fewer things, taking fewer chances and less weed just going everywhere because you're going to keep a majority of it in your own store and only sell a little bit of it to other stores. So your reach is less. So I just think the limits on, I should say the limits on variety definitely do damage to um patients in terms of options and free market kind of yeah commerce um and i think the nick the second part of your question was around is do i think it's good or bad and i i'm of the mindset that open market is where it's to me the most fair equitable way for everyone to be able to participate in the industry so I'm not a fan of vertical because I think it is very limiting. I think there's it calls into a lot of questions, um, just the whole structure and, and things like that. And so I, I'm not a big fan of it. I think I understand why, but I'm not a proponent of the vertical markets from um, the supply side that we've yeah. been talking about, but also even just from like what we do from the ancillary business side, it just, it's to me, uh, you know, the sales joint will never be in a vertical state. There's yeah. not a need for our services because they basically sell to themselves. So they don't need help selling to other people. So, you know, I think there's inherent flaws in a vertical state. Um, but I also understand why everybody wants to put a toe in the water before they jump in. Oh, we're going to, we're going to return to that. I appreciate you going back to, to the, the other part of the question. When I, when I kind of uh, jump around and I try to get um, into the subject a little bit, a great place to go uh, that, that I look in sometimes, and I know Francesca does, is uh, chat rooms. And if you look in this, there's a tendency that every time we get a win, uh, if it's legislative for cannabis, there's always, yeah, and then you're going to go and go to the dispensary. Like, wait, whoa, wait, wait a minute. There's nowhere to go. And I thought that one of the coolest things I read with some of these people in the New York cannabis community is said under the old system, not only was it restrictive in terms of variety, like we just talked about with producers, but they said it was, it was just restrictive as hell for dispensaries as well, where you might have a, a great team of people that know their flower, that know their medicine, that know their cannabis, um, but don't have that opportunity to open a small independent store under that system because they can't afford that license. Uh, they're not a producer. They, they you know, it, it, it's crazy. So I, I just had this idea in my head that if the old system continued, well, we just have a, uh, a very much a Times Square variety of cannabis. Yup. It's Bubba Gump, Red Lobster cannabis. Um, <laughs> and it's, that's kind of what you're going for. And yeah, you're right, Nick. It, vertical licensing kind of pisses me off too, because it's like, what if I'm just interested in one part of the business? What if I really want to have a dispensary? I don't want to mess with processing and growing. It's like, I got to get all these people that know things I don't and blah, blah, blah. That's yeah. just a pain. Yeah, okay. interesting. I don't like a group project like that. <laughs> it, it, in a lot of ways, friend, that's a good point, Francesca, because it does add more risk to the overall 
um, corporation, the enterprise, let's call it, because you have, nobody knows everything about every part of the supply chain from seed to sale, right? So you have to start bringing in other people and and now what if some one of them is a fraud or a weakling? Because there's none of them in cannabis, right? So, so <laughs> yeah, it does. It adds risk and multi-million dollar, tens of millions of dollars of risk. And not even talking about the retail space and the gross yep. space and all the other like real estate investments. So it's, it's a lot, a lot of dollars involved combined with a lot of risk. Yeah. You start having to be vertically um, team integrated as well. Yeah. It, it's almost <laughs> kind of like the streaming platforms of like now Disney owns all of these things. And so it's like, that's like a vertical license on media. Wow. It's what a good, what, a, what an analogy. World. Somebody did their prep work. I Somebody. Did, that just came to me. I'm really proud <laughs> of that. Bullshit. I swear. <laughs> but you know, hold on. I want to go back to one thing that Francesca said that I thought was interesting. Um, you know, you said about Bubba Gump, you know, brands yeah. and stuff like that. And it does a vertical market does to me, pretty much lock you in to just be a corporate weed system, like yeah. market. Yep. Yeah. And and I think as I was thinking about this stuff ahead of time, one of the things that I thought of was if we think about where we work a lot of times in some of the original traditional states out West, there's a big um, reverence for the craft growers because they've been here for decades doing this. And they're, even the consumers have a preference in a lot in many ways for craft grow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of in a lot of ways despise corporate weed. I wonder if that's going to be the same on the East Coast. Because Ooh. the it because not just because the market dynamic, the vertical stuff, but the just the consumer demographic differences between New York, and New Jersey, and all yeah. yeah. Like I'm just sitting here wondering, like maybe people in New York City will prefer um you know, like cookies and plant, want to go to planet 13 and want to have a very like lavish consumer experience and buy only the brands that are out there, the Tyson farms, the rapper brands and all the other yeah. stuff like that. Like that might be the big hit. Uh, like we don't okay. know. Totally. totally all right. Let, right let's, Mike. let's let the puck dangle here for a second. That is an incredible point because truth be told the first time I was in a major city, um, where cannabis was legal, I went into a corporate dispensary and I'm pretty damn sure I got my corporate weed. I was just <laughs> excited that coming from yeah. Delaware, who we've already trashed in the show, coming from Delaware, I can walk into a store, show my ID, talk to a bud tender, and get my legal weed. So right. I think Mike's on to something here. Look at the, you know, the tourist traffic in Manhattan, Francesca. Do you think that New Yorkers are going to give a damn? New Yorkers or New York tourists? Because I <laughs> yeah. think there's a big difference. I do. There's a big difference. You got yeah. me. Yeah. So New York's, I think New York's medical marijuana program right now is if they carried that into, into the rec market, mm-hmm. you are asking for bottlenecking like nobody's business. I mean, it, it would be an set up to fail. It, it really would. And maybe, I don't know what they were thinking with that medical mark. Maybe that is just the toe in the water like Mike you know, mentioned, but yeah. certainly doing it like that for wreck, big mistake, huge. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly Kapoor. You're welcome. <laughs> no, it, it did seem like that, but I, you know, in that other, in that alternate reality, I can see the Times Square with the big cookies store 100%. Oh, yeah. and, oh, and the yeah. big, and the big planet 13 raking in money. Yep. Huge. Raking, yes. Mm-hmm. Raking in money. That's, that's interesting. Um, the, the, the good thing is 
a lot has happened since we even conceptualized doing a doing an episode about New York and New Jersey. We know that reforms on the way. Um, we know that they know that they have to do the work to get going. They've got to set up new regulations. Uh, they've got to launch the retail market that doesn't exist while there's all this, all this um, enthusiasm behind it. So New Yorkers have a new governor, Governor Kathy Hochul, and she appears to be absolutely committed to expediting cannabis legalization and more importantly, getting that retail market uh, established. How do we know? She's filling positions that the former guy, uh, we're not even going to talk about why he's not there. I think he blamed being Italian at the end of it, which I was a little- Because that's about. really hard to be in New York. My <laughs> God. Well, you know- Stacked odds. But we, we, <laughs> they took a shot. The, they, they thought he was slow walking his appointments at really important positions. And that's politics at its most infuriating. Um, but we know she's focused on the Cannabis Control Board. We know she's focused on the Office of Cannabis Management. They just created a new licensing category so farmers can get up and growing to meet the insane demand that's going to be there within that market. So there's a lot to be hopeful for, guys. There's, we're talking 60,000 jobs. We're talking a possible $3.5 billion dollars in economic activity directly attributed to cannabis uh, once a program... Blah, a program is implemented. So I want to I wanted to end off our New York uh, portion right there, just saying we're going to confirm the regulators up there. We're going to get the system in place, which is critical. And um, it's pretty cool to see people of color and women leading the charge there, Mike. Totally agree. And, you know, <laughs> you know, being a governor is like running a company in a lot of ways. Like you have to look at where you're going to, you know, jobs, where's revenue going to come from. And it's, you know, it's awesome that she's doing what she's doing so quickly after she took over. Yeah. But like, what else is on her radar that can produce <laughs> this many jobs and this much <laughs> new revenue in a short period of time? So it's like, hey, great job. Congratulations on that. And it's just <laughs> a real head scratcher why the former governor didn't do it. And I think it's because he was spending so much time trying to cover up all his ass grabbing and not doing his actual job. You know, yeah. and so it's there's no other i can't figure out why else it didn't get handled a year ago i have an idea <laughs> i i i wonder if he got to rest on his laurels of he legalized it or you know like he because he was in power right or yes. no yeah mm -hmm. okay so if he get if he got the kudos that's all these guys want so now she Bingo. doesn't have those kudos so she's actually got to make it happen to get yeah. her like stripes well, he was like, sharing he didn't want to take all the kudos <laughs> <laughs> yeah he seems like a real sharing guy but it seems like that though because it's like you a lot of them just hang their hat on the goddamn win yes of, of, and, but then the, the headline yes then the real work comes and, and nobody wants to do it it's almost like well who, shocking shocking yeah, yeah. and the, and the other part of that the, 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 let's be freaking honest here there's plenty of weed in new york already there's plenty of weed in new york already you talk to yeah. any bus boy and any waiter you're gonna find out where you can get some weed look yeah. he, our, that that italian man might not want to upset other key italian men if you know what i'm talking about by a you're talking about that thing, black market you're talking about that thing downtown that thing that the guy thought he saw he yeah, didn't see it Ah, there we are. <laughs> Guys, with that little mob reference, that brings us to a little shift here in our tour of the East Coast Carter all the way to the Garden State of New Jersey, the home state of a certain guy I know who is the pride of Morris County, the pride of Randolph Township, my man, 
producer Frankie fifth year. The Garden State was on his radar because I know he's a proud Jersey guy, but it was also on your radars too. Francesca, you and I had a guest on uh, this, this program a little while ago. Uh, you remember our amazing talk with Alex from C1D1 Labs? Of course, yeah. Love him. Do you remember how excited he was about Jersey jumping into the game and why? Yes, I do. Why was it? It was, now I hope I do. Now I'm getting quizzed. I'm worried. <laughs> yeah, set up. I think it was from my memory. It's because Jersey has great grows. Like we grow, we, like I'm part of Jersey. Delaware yeah. sometimes adopts it, sometimes rejects it. Uh, <laughs> great, the, the killer tomatoes, killer corn. The farming in Jersey is, has a national kind of brand or reputation for high, high quality. So if you apply that to cannabis, we are expecting some premium ganja. Yeah. Yeah. And, and his, his exact words were, and just in the, in the brilliant, humble uh, style of Alex, he just said, Hey man, if, if their weeds as good as their tomatoes, I'm all in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was solid. Which is to your point, Francesca, we're unleashing the power, the promise, the potential of the garden state and its army of culti uh, cultivators. There was an incredible amount of optimism surrounding this state and the cannabis community in the area. And then we had this little thing as they're, as they're getting the regulations in place, Mike, they were all, all eyes were on this August 22nd deadline mm -hmm. where we look at the amount of municipalities in Jersey and they had until it was August 22nd to either opt in to cannabis businessing or to opt out of, of the cannabis game, Mike. Um, New Jersey has 565 municipalities of, uh, in, in the state, 400 of which said, uh-uh, we're not going. We're not going to be in cannabis, at least not right now. Mike, were you surprised by those numbers? I was not surprised at the New Jersey opt-in numbers uh, because for two reasons. Number one is it's still kind of new, and I think – Anything new, there's a warm up period, um, and so when I when I think about New Jersey, I think about legislators and and what, what's their two focal points. One is they appease their constituents, and two they try to get reelected, so which goes back to number one. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, people in New Jersey that may be a little uneasy about it and this and that. And so the last thing someone's going to do is put their future job in jeopardy by force forcing the a yes on the opt-in. So I think that's always going to be the case in many situations. Uh, the opt-in, opt-out situation, the structure that was odd too, in yeah. terms of if you odd in, opt-in, you're basically handcuffed to it for what, three years? Yeah, you're locked. You know? And so that's, uh, that's risky. You know? mm -hmm. and so when you're talking about risk management, if you're talking about setting up a new operation, being locked in for three years is something that would make me think twice too. So, you know, I think there's a couple of things there that skew the data, but the, when I look at the data, I don't look at how that 400 opted out. I look at 165 opted in and I look at the location yeah. of that 165 and it's represent representing throughout the state. There's yeah. representation, you know, if you look at the, at the municipalities that are in on a color map or something like that, it's throughout the state. Obviously it's North Jersey took a, was real active with that, you know, since they're so close to New York City and New York's tourists and all the I-95 traffic coming up and down the, the East Coast. 
uh, I think it's a great representation. My big surprise in the whole thing was that more of the Jersey Shore didn't get involved with the exception of like North Shore and then down Atlantic City. But I think it's because it's so seasonal. And if you look at like, you know, a lot of tourism is three months a year and then it kind of quiets down for the other nine months. So, so I think that's why Jersey Shore kind of shied away from it maybe at this point. Uh, maybe a lot of older older yeah. full-time residents that were involved in that vote too. But I think overall, I look at the 165 as a big win. That's a good focus because I, I think the cannabis community in general, there's a tendency to look at something and we live in a clickbait kind of headline culture. And all those, there are a lot of headlines from different news sources that said 71%, 71% said, no, we don't want any parts of cannabis. Francesca, you used to be in the education game, 71%. That's not, that's not a score you want on a paper on an exam, is it? <laughs> no, it's, it's, well, I wouldn't, I know that. Yeah, it's not, um, it surprised me, honestly, that that many opted out until I looked into it a little bit more. And I was like, you know, if you, the, the not opting, the not being able to opt back out once you opt in is definitely a major barrier to entry. I don't know why they did that. And you can opt in later, like opting out now doesn't mean opting out forever. So of course, if you're risk averse, like Mike said, that's what you're going to do and be like, all right, when I'm ready, I'll get in the game because I can not, if this doesn't go well, I'm getting out because I can, they, they really set that up for this 71% opt out. I also think like municipalities, they have to look at things like how are they going to handle like their ordinances and their zoning laws and things like that? And so they're like, okay, let's just opt out until we have that under control. Then we'll be in. Um, but it is interesting to me that so, I guess it is kind of like being the first to a party. You don't want to be early to a party. You don't want to be the first. Um, but I hope that the ones that did take that risk and that said yes, because they listened to the voters, because even in those municipalities where they say that they're opting out, the vast majority, it's usually like 67% of them are saying, yeah. like, we said yes to this. What's going on? <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, so where are they going to buy their product? Right. They're going to go 165. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think that's really, I hope that those, those early in adopters get rewarded for the risk that they're taking and the guts that they have, as long as they're doing things right. As long as you're doing things right. And I'll tell you who's done a lot right. Um, the educators and the advocates in the state of New Jersey uh, working closely to, to just hound lawmakers with fact over fiction when it comes to cannabis. And there's a lot of good work that was done that I don't want anyone in, in the Northeast to, to um, admonish simply because that number is, yeah. I, I, I want to say it's just a little misleading because Francesca, you know, yeah, like you said, yeah. it's clickbait, it's headline. It's, and I've even seen it put as over 70%, like what 71 is technically over 70%. That's <laughs> such a terrible way to, to manipulate the facts, you know? Awful, awful manipulation. And I and look, I think there's other good things that we look at New Jersey and say, wow, they really do have their stuff together. Look, I don't know if you guys are are keeping tabs on this, but uh, as I think it was September 9th, the seventh city in that in that state um, where they're in an area that opted in has plans for public consumption lounges. Mm -hmm. They've got they've got good big money towns along the Amtrak Carter too, like Elizabeth, Trenton, uh, Hoboken, Hoboken. Uh, Goldmine, 
gold mine, yeah. gold mine. So in that sense, Mike, uh, use our state, if you will, in comparison. Do you think Jersey is going to be one of these places where we look at it as the canary in the cannabis coal mine? This opt-in, opt-out feature might be really good for other states to take a look at because um, I couldn't see Delaware going you know, 60% or something, you know, places supporting it. Do you think Jersey's got a good model for other people to follow? I think Jersey's model is, is another step uh, forward in the evolution of the models. Well and said. So, well said. And so I, I think well that said. like, because the, all, everybody's learning from each other and they're all trying to do things better to make a smoother transition, both from the consumer side, from the legal side, regulatory compliance, they're trying to all make it so that it's smooth and less hiccups. And, and I think New Jersey's has put together a pretty interesting way of doing it with the exception of the home grow stipulation. Um, I think they have something that's pretty, it might be a, a good template for other people that, but I imagine it'll get tweaked and tweaked, but it, I feel like it's getting to be a sharper knife in the drawer. Ooh. Oh, very. I, I love I love everything about that response. What do, you th- do you agree, Francesca? 100%. I I can't build on that because that was just. Chef's oh, perfect. oh. <laughs> I, I like having the, the sharper knife in the drawer because um, it seems to me that this one is adaptable. Uh, it's flexible and it has the ability to change over time and that they're keeping uh, social equity and uh, public safety at the forefront. Prominent. Of- everything they're doing so that i you know i i I, that was a big point today that there's a lot of work that needs to be done and and jersey's doing it and i I think that that's just incredible and look they've got great stuff to build on um you know you you look at september 15th they had their 23rd dispensary opened chains like curaleaf are already there operating dispensaries under under their old medical policy they had 22 stores um do you think the presence of chains like that are good for the average consumer or just maybe the average concerned public citizen francesca to say here's a store here's just a regular place this Um, normalizes it yeah i think the presence of dispensaries like and especially any brand that becomes recognizable in cannabis is going to help with the normalization of it so you can't you can't hate that you know do do i wish that some other kinds of people were benefiting and and behind those names of course yeah, yeah naturally but i do think that there's a huge difference in the public opinion of cannabis because they're getting used to seeing these they're not back alley doors they're not shady out of the trunk or in a trench coat kind of deals it's out in the open it's an operational business and it's operating as a business which we want to see more craft cannabis do a better job of so there there are things about corporate weed that we need to make sure that we recognize as either positive influentially or positive operationally and then take those and apply them so that others can benefit from what they're doing right um yeah and jersey jersey is so interesting the no home grow though i'm starting to see that more and more with the legalization i i'm not a fan no all that is wrong 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 i i don't like it but you know even i was just thinking about this in the banned areas they're not they're they have to allow delivery services. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's that's pretty cool. And I think that might do a lot to help with whatever stigmas may still exist in those banned municipalities. As soon as you see maybe the deliveries and you see who's getting it and it starts to be out 
in the open a little more, more normalized, boom, now maybe municipalities are going to be more eager to opt in. Give it one or two quarters when the first reports come out about how much yeah. revenue this, the, those municipalities are making as a result of being part of the first 160, then see what happens. Absolutely. And again, <laughs> going, going back to the, the, the flexibility of this program, it was great that the one cannabis business, they can't totally restrict the delivery services. So thank you for bringing that up, Francesca. That's going to do a, a world of good. Um, all right, guys, I'm going to give you some house money to play with. Ooh. Right, Mike. Going to AC? <laughs> house money, baby. I want you to jump in to one of the two markets. Which one would you be more apt to invest in? How much money? Are you giving me enough money to get <laughs> one of the licenses in New York? <laughs> uh, so New York. No, I mean, honestly, I think it, you know, I, I'm an, a free market business person. So uh-huh. to me, New Jersey would be where I would choose to, to make my career in the, in the, in the plop of business. Um, because I think that would allow, it just allows for competent, fair competition and competition doesn't scare me. It, you know, it's like, it's either you are good at what you do or you get out of the business. And I, I would rather be in a, in a place where you have to be good at what you do to be a player. And ultimately what will happen is those people that do survive, they'll end up working together and they're going to realize that there's so much business that they're not really competing with each other. Moreover, they're working with each other to serve the market. And that's where I would rather be versus one of the, um, you know, in a vertical state where you have to be a master of everything. What about you, Francesca? Is there one market that's more attractive to you? And I'm not limiting your funds or your business option. You can be a dispensary. You can be a grow operation. Oh, whoa. Ooh, new spin. I like that. I have to, I have to throw some new spin yeah. on here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do like the, uh, my ego likes the idea of if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. So <laughs> there's something kind of attractive and you can, New York has so many micro identities in their boroughs um, that you could be like, I'm going to be the dispensary destination for Ooh. Tribeca or, yeah. you know, some, or Brooklyn and yeah. um, certain yeah. parts of Brooklyn or something along those lines, you could do that. But there's something kind of, I, I love about uh, the idea of opening up a killer dispensary in Asbury Park. That's that's where I think I'd actually want to be. Oh, it would be so cool to open up a store there called Greetings from Danksbury Park. Oh. There's our, there's our, there's our, <laughs> that's interesting. You know, you know who I bet you guys would like to hear from and his opinion on this? I think I'm I talk- know. I'm talking the pride of Morris County, the pride of Randolph Township. Producer extraordinaire, Frankie Fifth here. How you doing, my friend? Hey, how you doing? How you been doing? <laughs> <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs> Frank, I don't think I have to ask you which market you would jump into, but which business would attract you the most if you could operate in your home state of New Jersey? I think I would be on the growing side. Ooh, you know, we are the garden state. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could definitely see myself coming up with a list of different strain names uh-huh. that fit my persona and my nationality. So <laughs> one of them would be, well, the brand I think would be Frankie's Cutlets, right? Nice. <laughs> so instead of nuggets, you would sell cutlets? Absolutely. Nugs over nuggets. Homemade. 
Um, we would have a concentrate line called Grandma's Sauce, Grandma's no. Gravy. Ooh, yeah. TM, TM, TM these things. You got TM. TM. episode's TM. <laughs> we have the Jersey Turnpike strain. Ooh. And then we have the jug handle. So. <laughs> jug handle's a good, a good one. one. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. Nobody, if, if you're not from the East Coast or haven't been through New Jersey, you're not going to know what that is. Yeah. yeah. It oh. means like no left turns are allowed in Jersey, yeah, essentially. So they have these huge, oh. annoying jug handles that you have to go through to ever make a left. It's does anybody like it? Frank, you're from New Jersey. Do people from New Jersey like the jug handles or do you hate them as much as out of staters hate them? I don't mind it as much. Yes. You grew up with it. So yeah, I grew up. I never really, yeah. well, now being in Delaware, but I've never really experienced that. Besides. Hey, I got to make a right to make a left. Yeah. It's like so <laughs> crazy. Yeah. I, I thought those <laughs> things were just put in place for out of staters. It's like getting us back for all the chemical, you know, soot we sent your way from DuPont. <laughs> That's, oh, that's, that's, oh! <laughs> I, I thought it was Jersey getting back at us. <laughs> Frank's bringing up something interesting. Is there a particular strain name or business name that you want to see emerge from these two markets, guys? I'm going to oh, throw that out to you. I love it. I love this question. Mike, um, you want to go first? I've got a couple that I that I wrote down. I'll be honest. I anticipated this one coming around. So I thought there's like some significant sports legends that have come out of New York. Bring them like, at me. Um, you, instead of like Mr. October, you could do Mr. Croptober. Ooh, <laughs> nice. A little Reggie Jackson action. I think you would have to reference the Jersey Devil too. And for yeah. those of you who don't know, the New Jersey Devils isn't just the hockey team. The Jersey Devil is a mythical creature that lives in the Pine Barrens, similar yep. to the place that was visited by Christopher Moltisanti and Polly Walnuts in The Sopranos. <laughs> a super, but the Jersey a Devil is episode, yeah. Sure. So, but the Jersey Devil like would be a good one. I think you could go with some stuff like, um, like Five Family Express, maybe like Big Apple Cake. You know, nice. different things like that as well. I think you could have a shit ton of fun coming up with New Jersey, New York strain names though. Outstanding, outstanding. I forget, I love that. And I, you know what? We 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 were on the same thing. I just took one of the old cannabis monikers and I had uh, the Jersey Devil's lettuce. So I thought that would be great. <laughs> That's good. That's a great one. That's a good That's one. A good one. <laughs> the lettuce. I'm going to, I'll save, I'll save mine. Francesca, do you, is there a, is there a, a product that you want to see emerge from these two fantastic states? In, in my dispensary greetings from Danksbury Park, I would definitely have Boss Buds um, as like mm -hmm. a whole line yeah, of flower. Strong. Yeah. Um, I think that you you gotta have forget about it some some real Jersey kind of sayings in there. Yeah, there was one that I thought of that I'm now completely blanking on because everybody else's was so good. I'm just I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come up with that as we're signing off. I'll just shout it into the into the void. I wanted <laughs> I wanted to see in Jersey. I wanted to have a uh, dispensary called the Bada Bong Club. Bada Bong Solid. <laughs> That's uh, good. Where they had a strain that I, I ripped off the toughest SOB. I want the Rocco De Mayo's coat strain or Ooh. jacket. It's the jacket. The jacket. Um, but I would like to see it come out of New York. I would like Madison Square Munchies to come out of somewhere, mm -hmm. some edible line. Yeah. And then I have my strain name that I want to see come out, guys. So you ready for this? Drum roll. It's from the Cosmo Kramer Cannabis Company. <laughs> and the strain name is 
the Lloyd Braun because oh. it's you. It's serenity at first, insanity later. The Lloyd Braun strain, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That's brilliant. That's tough to beat. That's why I, I know why Nick wanted to back clean up on this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Forget about my name, guys. Um, I I had so much fun uh, tossing this one around with you uh, today. Um, thank you so much for uh, for joining and, and thank you for the work you put into it. I think that we're going to see some interesting stuff in the next year, year and a half, huh? Yeah, this will be fun to watch. It'll be it'll be cool to see how New York does change now that, you know, their rec market isn't going to be vertical. So that changes the whole freaking yeah. game for them and they get competitive with Jersey. But pricing like they've got so much to see unfold. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. Train rides are going to be a lot more fun from now on, uh, oh making God. stops, making stops here and there uh, from where we take the train. Uh, thank you for joining us once again here on Infused. Thanks a ton to our producer extraordinaire, Frankie Fifth Year. Uh, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Infused. We certainly appreciate it, guys. Uh, until next time, we'll see you from Delahue, Delawat, Delaware. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Chicks Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.